So this week I came across a couple of quotes that, that pertain very much to this series about killing pride. Here's the first one. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers of all times, he said, be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. I love that. Don't be proud of your race. Don't be proud of your face. It doesn't mean you have to be sad about your face, but don't be proud of your face. Don't be proud of the place that you were born, where God put you. And certainly, whatever you do, don't be proud of the grace of God because that's a gift. You didn't do anything to earn it, so don't be proud about that. Here's the next one. Um, William Barclay, another preacher and and a uh, commentator, said, Pride is the ground in which all other things grow and the parent from which all other sins come. If you remember at the beginning of this series, I talked about C.S. Lewis. He said something similar to this. He said, All other sins are like flea bites compared to the destruction that pride does in our life. So for three weeks, we've been talking about killing pride. Why do we need to kill it? Because it's ruthless and it will destroy everything that you hold dear. Pride causes um, so much trouble. Um, It promises that it will make your life better, bigger, stronger, but does it? No, it makes you look smaller. It makes you look weaker. Pride is what makes you overcoach your kids when they just want to have fun. You want to win so badly because of your insecurity, not your kids. Pride causes you to over-exaggerate your accomplishments. Ever been telling the story and you embellish the story a little bit to make yourself look better? No, no one here does that. It causes you to secretly or not so secretly Um, rejoice when someone you don't like fails. That's pride. Pride is a prison which shuts us in and shuts others out. We don't want to excuse it. We don't want to tolerate it. Don't want to coexist with it. What is the only thing we want to do with pride? What is the only thing we want to do with pride? One more time, because some of y'all aren't convinced. What is the only thing we want to do with pride? Ah, look, there is a crowd. I wasn't sure. Um, Week one, we discovered that um, Jesus was a master at killing pride. Um, we, we discovered that, that Jesus was right 100% of the time. He was wronged 100% of the time. And Jesus did stuff that no one else ever did. And if you follow him, it'll kill pride. So one of the things he did was he washed his disciples' feet. He was a servant to other people. The greatest man to ever live served other people that way. We also discovered that Jesus initiated reconciliation He was right all the time. He was wronged all the time. And he was the first one to make the the move to go and reconcile with someone else. So here's what we said. We discovered this. Pride says. Pride says. Jesus says. Oh, let's do it again. Pride says. Jesus says. Now, I will do just about it. I know y'all are laughing at that and thinking I'm a dork, but it's okay. If you remember, pride says, wait, Jesus says, initiate. If you want to kill pride, do what Jesus did. Last week, we found out that God repeated one truth in Daniel chapter 5. He repeated it four times, and here it is. The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets, them, sets over them anyone he wishes. When God repeats something so many times, it is for emphasis. What do you think God is trying to emphasize with this statement? Here's what I think. I think he's emphasizing there is a Most High God. You're not him. I'm not him. There is a Most High God. He gets to decide who does what? Now, since we're already participating, and y'all are doing such a good job, I'm going to say, if that is true, you're going to say, it is. You're going to say it with an exclamation point, right? So hang on. You ready? There is a most high God, and you're not him. If that is true, Oh, dude, with that build up, you really suck that bad? Okay, exclamation point. Y'all know what those are? I mean, some of you way overuse them, right? But one, one exclamation point. It is. Try that. All right, there is a most high God and you're not him. If that is true, thank you. If that's true, it means 
You and I never, ever, ever have the right to look down on another human being. Regardless of race, face, place, grace. You don't have that right. Because there is a Most High who is sovereign over all kingdoms of earth. And he sets over them anyone he wishes. Now today I want to talk to anybody here on the internet who has a desire to be known. All right, I'll ask it this way, Travis. Anybody in here want to be known? Travis started uh, earlier first service. I said, anybody not want to be known? And Travis already had his hand up. No, no, no. I want to be known, right? Okay. You want to be known by somebody or you want to be known for something. You with me? You want to be known by somebody. You want to be known for something. When you get up in the morning, you have an audience. And some of you are going, I don't have an audience. Oh, yes, you do. You have an audience in mind. We'll talk about that in a second. Now, you want to, if you're under 30, I'll just go ahead and say this. If you're under 30, you want to be friended, followed, liked, or mentioned. Right? Hello? Friended, followed, liked, or mentioned. Some of you cannot remember the last time someone else took your picture. I mean, when I grew up, that's all everybody did. Now it's selfie. I, I saw Stephen Furtick has a, has a uh, series called Death to Selfie. I need to watch that. That's a, that sounds like a great series. The reason you took that picture and posted it is because you want to be friended, followed, liked, or mentioned. Now, if you're over 30, you want to be recognized, admired, sought after, or envied, right? Because we didn't have, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't grow, my, my teenager, Janie and I talked about this, you know, we had corded phones, we had rotary dials, and, and I used to sneak out at night after my mom and dad would go to bed and, and sneak that little corded phone into my room, close the door, because you had to be real, mine was a sliding door, and mom was like, mom's as bad as me when it talks, psycho sleep, and she hears everything, and if it, if it just went, dude, you were busted, so I would make it go, and then I would call my girlfriend, hey, and the worst sound you could ever hear if you had a rotary phone, a corded phone, was meep, meep. It's busy. <sighs> so those of us over 50 would like to be recognized, admired, sought after, envy. Now, I said you have, you have an audience. Here, your audience is why you bought that car. When you get up in the morning, when you get dressed, it's why you wear those clothes. Your audience is why you wear those clothes. Your audience is why you look at your man and say, you're going to wear that it's okay if you want to look like an idiot with your friends, but not if you're going to be with me. I want to be envied, not pitied. <laughs> now, I hate to say this, but Lady Gaga has it right when she sang the song, I live for the applause, applause, I live for the applause, 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 applause. That's all I know of the song. I don't know if y'all know it. That's all I know. Somebody did that. I live for the applause, applause. That's what our society does, right? And our desire to be liked Friended, followed, liked, mentioned. Our desire for those things gets us in trouble. Starts when we're kids. You know when your kids are little? Mom, 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 watch this, watch this. You know? <laughs> dad, 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 dad. <laughs> and, and you want to say, get a new trick, dude. Five minutes ago you did the same thing. I mean, I can't, I can't give you a participation trophy for that. Make up something new. You didn't say that because you're a good parent. But you wanted to. It goes from our parents, and, and we always want the approval of our parents. We want to be known by them, but sometimes it goes to a teacher. I always had a favorite teacher. Whatever that favorite teacher wanted me to do, I would do. Extra credit, whatever. Um, I had coaches that I would, I would run through a wall for certain coaches if they told me to. I just respected them, wanted, their, wanted to be known by them. And then, then somewhere, somebody the opposite sex 
hey, hey. And you want to be known by someone or you want to be known for something, right? And believe it or not, there's even parents who desperately want to be approved by their children and they will do all kinds of things just to have their children applaud them. Well, the reason this desire gets us in trouble is this desire is an appetite for being known, right? As with all appetites, what happens to an appetite if you feed it? It grows. No matter how much bluebell I have in the freezer, no matter how many times I eat bluebell, my appetite for bluebell does not go down. It goes up. Yesterday, Janie said, you need some, you need some ice cream? I said, no, I think I'm good. Well, she's, then she comes home, I bought some Rocky Road. And I said, okay, I guess I have to try it. I've got to feed that appetite. An appetite is never fully or finally satisfied, especially this appetite to be known. The more friends, fans, followers you have, the more friends, fans, followers you want. You'll never have enough. See, that there is no amount of known that will satisfy your appetite to be known for that thing which you've chosen that you want to be known for, right? So, so I'm, a, I'm a pastor, and I want to be a good pastor. I want to be known as somebody who, who preaches the Word of God. There's something you're doing that, that you want to be known for. You want to be known as a good employer, a good student, whatever it is, we, we're known. There's one or two areas in our lives where we're always looking for more recognition, always looking for more applause. Now, here at New Life... We have the registration cards, and you get a registration card every week if you get the listening guide. And um, we do these instead of an altar call because I get so much information. Last week, over 35 cards I kept. A lot of you just fill them out, and that's great. We want everybody to fill them out because especially if a guest is here, you don't want them to feel singled out, so you put them in the registration card basket back there, and I take them home. And last week, I kept 30-something cards. I think it was 35. Um, most of them were prayer concerns. There were some that were praises. And, and so I keep them right there next to where I have my daily devotional, and, and I pray through them. And, and, and it's just really cool. Now, once or twice a year on these cards, somebody will just rip my lips off. I mean, they'll write something. It's usually anonymous, and, and it stings. It hurts. And, and so there's times, though, if it's anonymous, here's what I do with anonymous cards every time. I go, God, here's another one. Here's the trash can. See you later. Because if you don't respect me enough to come talk to me, like the Scripture says, if you have a problem with somebody, you go to them. You don't write on the back of a card. Because the most vulnerable time for a pastor, I'm just going to tell you this, is right after he's preached. Satan knows that, and there are people that come and say things. There are people that do things that just... And so when I'm sitting there thinking I'm looking at prayer concerns and someone just rips me to shreds, it hurts. And so I just say, God, this is up to you. I'm not going to worry about it if they're anonymous. Now, what hurts even worse than that is when Janie is in the service and Janie doesn't write a card, okay? I'm just telling you, she, she, when she'll write a card and she'll put a little note on the back. And so when I'm going through the cards, if she's been in here, sometimes she's back in the children's area, she's been in here, I go through. And, and no offense, but your cards aren't as special as her card. And so I look for her card. And I, <laughs> and I actually use those as my bookmark. So in my Bible, there's a bookmark there. And my kids, Rachel's, I've, so she'll put, I love you, Dad. And I've got hers back there, you know. So they're, they're just more special to me. And, and if she forgets, sometimes Janie forgets, legit forgets. Y'all start talking to her or she'll go back to her office or whatever. She'll take her card with her. And, and so I'll go through and it won't be there. And I'll go, uh, so, so Miss Eula said the sermon was good today. What do you think? And honestly, I don't want her to tell me the truth. I don't want her to say, man, you sucked. I want her to say, you were awesome today. There's no one you can, can give a sermon like you. And I'm like, come on, come on, give me some more. You should be, they should call you the sermonator. <laughs> I'll be back next week. You know, that's my best Arnold. 
That's what I'm talking about. But if she forgets, if she forgets to write a card, I'm like, <laughs> I'm pathetic because I so want her approval, right? It, it, am I the only one? Okay, thank you. Y'all talked to me. First service went, no, they didn't really. <laughs> Our desire to be known as that powerful, which means it's dangerous, which means it can make you really weird. Just one more way that pride, that Satan takes pride, takes the remote control and tries to manipulate you through your desire to be recognized, admired, sought after, envied, or if you're under 30, friended, followed, liked, and mentioned. Does everybody get that? Okay. Wouldn't you know it? The Bible has something to say about it. Who knew that the Bible had so much to say about life? You do if you come because we do it every week. We have some kind of attention to the Bible speaks. It's the best-selling book of all time. You want to know why? It was inspired by God. Over 40 different authors over 1,500 different years wrote the best-selling book of all time because God put his hand upon it, and it's his instructions to us about how to live. Today, we're going to talk about John the Baptist. Now, just a quick poll. Help me out. How many of you have ever heard of John the Baptist? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Come on. I think that's everybody. Everybody's heard of J the B, John the Baptist. Now, do the math. How long has it been since John the Baptist lived? Give me a rough estimate. 2,000 years. Thank you. Almost 2,000 years. How many of you think you, that people would be talking about your life in the year 4018? Let me see your hands. Mary, uh, LaVonda says, yeah, me. Dude. All right. Y'all keep a record and tell me about it when I'm in heaven because I ain't going to be around. How, about, how many of you think people are going to be talking about you in 200 years? 20 years. Try this, try this. You die, and we'll see how long people keep talking. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Two years? I mean, come on, really? My point is, John the Baptist was more well-known than any of us will ever be, and he knew how to handle it. So we're not saying today, don't be known. We're saying, know how to handle being known the way God wants you to. Because everyone here has a kingdom. God has given you some type of kingdom. It may be small, one or two people. It may be several hundred, maybe several thousand. But the Bible tells us how we are supposed to handle being known in a way that brings God uh, honor. So we're going to look at, at John the Baptist starting in Mark chapter 1, verse 4. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this was a different type of baptism. John the Baptist, we believe, is the first person to baptize other people. He didn't invent baptism. That was already in existence. The Jews had a ceremony where they immersed themselves, dipped themselves into clean water, or they sprinkled themselves with certain water uh, to, to prove as part of a ceremony that they were right before God, clean before God. The Jews also had a ceremony where if you were a Gentile, and a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew, if you wanted to become a Jew and follow the one true God, there was a ceremony where a Gentile could go and baptize himself or herself as a symbol that they were now following the one true God. But nobody before John the Baptist baptized other people. And this was interesting because he, he said Jews and Gentiles were required to humble themselves before God and admit their lives were jacked up and be reconciled to God and then allow someone to baptize them to identify with his message. That's what people were doing. And so this was, this was acknowledging, it was a confession that the entire Jewish religious system was spiritually bankrupt. John's baptism served as a reminder that even the outwardly religious were impure on the inside and they needed a new heart, not just to take a bath. It was a very different baptism. He really was the first Baptist. I'll just leave that alone. 
Mark 1.5. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Does it sound like a lot of people? Thousands and thousands of people from Jerusalem and around the countryside were going to see this man named John the Baptist. What were they doing? Confessing their sins. They're saying, my heart's not right. My life's not right. And I acknowledge that Jesus has not been first, or that God has not been first. They didn't know Jesus yet. That God has not been first place in my life. And, they, and I'm now going to be baptized to acknowledge I am changing my ways. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Janie and I were baptized in the Jordan River. And, and Leanne, I know your water was cold last week because when she stepped in, she goes, ah, ah, ah. dude, go to the Jordan River in March. We, we stepped down into, and our teeth started chattering. And I'm serious. We were, we, our knees were knocking. So we go down, and there's like five of us going to be baptized. My brother baptizes me, and then I baptize Janie. And, and, I mean, we are freezing. And the Jordan River is dirty. You get on the first step, and your feet disappear. I mean, it, you cannot see your feet. It's not, it's not a clean place to go be baptized. And it definitely was not warm. And we, were, we just did it because Jesus was there. Now, here's the reason I tell you this. This must have been a big deal for people to go see John. We know later, you'll see later, he was in Bethany on the other side of the Jordan River. So to go from Jerusalem to Bethany, it was downhill and it would take a day to walk there. And then you would go across the Jordan, you would hang out with John the Baptist, listen to his teaching for a day, and then it would take a day walking uphill to get back to Jerusalem. This was a major inconvenience, and thousands and thousands of people were going to check this out because people thought, this guy must be the Messiah. Now, you need to understand, when John the Baptist shows up, God has not spoken to them for 400 years. It's called the intertestamental period. It's from, from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament. There's 400 years where God was silent, and they're saying, is the Messiah coming? This guy shows up. He's preaching. Thousands of people are going to him. He may be the Messiah. Let's go check him out. And anybody who was religious went to check him out. Now, John chapter 1. We're jumping over to John, beginning in verse 15. John, now this is the star of the show, John the Baptist. Look what he says. He testified concerning him, Jesus. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Say what? After me, surpassed me, before me. What? Could you explain that? Okay, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is eternal. Even though John the Baptist was born a few months on this earth before Jesus was born, Jesus existed before John ever, ever was conceived. And I'll show you where. From John chapter 1, jump up to the first verse of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God, that's why it's capital. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then look at this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is not the guy who wrote the book of John. John the, we're talking about John the Baptist here. John who wrote the book of John was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. This is, he's talking about John the Baptist here. He came as a witness, John the Baptist came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Jump down to verse 14. The Word, capital W, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to understand Jesus Christ existed. He created everything that has been made. Everything that was made was made through Him. He was with God in the beginning. That's why John could say, He existed before me, He came after me, He has surpassed me. Now, I want you to understand how far God came. Jesus came for you. Um, this past Thursday, Janie and I were invited to Wayland's first Thanksgiving meal at his little daycare. 
He'll be two in, in a couple of weeks. This is Waylon. He's just having a great time, and that's his best buddy right there. His best buddy's kind of mean. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Waylon's awesome. So we go to see Waylon, and, and we drove over, well, we drove over 100 miles. It was an hour and 45 minutes one way from our house to Wayland's daycare. We got to spend about 45 minutes with Wayland, and then we drove another hour and a half back to our house. I uh, got to hang out with Caleb. Um, Hannah didn't get to come because she had, she had nursing school that day. So um, what, would, what would cause normal human beings to drive three and a half hours for 45 minutes with an almost two-year-old? Love. Dude, it was awesome. When he saw us, his eyes lit up. And they would say, where's Papa?" And he'd point at me. And they'd say, where's Amy? Janie wants to be called Amy because then all the grandkids will say, I'm going to Miami's house. <laughs> I'm not making that up. I, I did not make that up. Where's Amy? He'd point at her and smile. And then his other grandmother, Jojo, was there. Where's Jojo? And he'd point at Jojo. And it was the coolest thing because he was going around sitting in all our laps and we're feeding him and it's just awesome. And then at the end, he comes and he grabs, because he gets bored. And so he'll grab your finger and he'll just tug on you till you go wherever he wants. So he, he gathered me and Janie and Jojo and took us around. He was just leading us wherever he wanted us to go. And it was awesome. And it, I was sad when we, had to, when we had to put him back in his room. It was time for his nap. We wouldn't have missed it for anything. We would go, we would drive further to hang out with Waylon. Your heavenly father gave up the glory of heaven to come find you, to offer you a new life, forgiveness of sins. And the Bible says that where two or three are gathered in his name, he will be there. He gathers here every week, whether you come or not. And he wants you to be here. It blesses his heart when you recognize him. That's Jesus. That's my Savior. Back to the story. Verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Hey, dude, who are you? They wanted to ask him if he's the Messiah, but they didn't ask him because uh, they felt like, you know, uh, it was just an awkward question. So he answers it before they even ask. Verse 20, he did not fail to confess, but confess freely. And that was kind of funny to me. He didn't fail to confess, but he did confess freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, predicts that someone, a prophet, will come before the Messiah comes. They said, are you that prophet? And he says, no. Verse 22, finally they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer so we can take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? I love this. Verse 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm, I'm just a road sign pointing to the real Messiah. I'm a road sign. The only reason I have this knownness, the only reason thousands and thousands of people are coming out here so I can say, hey, he's the guy. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He was before me, he surpassed me, and my life is about him. Verse 24. Now the Pharisees who had been sent to question him, uh, question him said, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize you with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. So in the Jewish culture, if someone came into your home, the servants would reach down and untie the strap of their sandals so that they could take their shoes off, their sandals off, and then you could wash, the servant could wash their feet. 
John says, I'm not even worthy to be a servant to Jesus. I'm the warm-up band. You've not seen anything yet. Wait till he comes. And then here's the detail at the end. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The Bible gives us details that have been proven by archaeological evidence. We know where this Bethany is. We know how long it takes to get there from Jerusalem. We know it was in the wilderness area. The Bible uh, is, is a book of details. It wasn't written by people who were hallucinating. It wasn't written by people who were making stuff up. It's been proven again and again. That's why it's the best-selling book of all times. Verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, everybody had been looking at Jesus, thousands and thousands, at John, thousands and thousands of people are showing up, and, and John's baptizing. Repent, repent, baptizing. And all of a sudden, John says, Stop looking at me. Look over there. The only reason I'm here is to point you over there. Stop looking here. Look there. Look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And everybody there would have known. In the Old Testament, you, you killed the lamb to take the blood to cover the sins. So they would actually sprinkle the blood, which sounds kind of gross. They would sprinkle the blood over people, and that's why they were covered with the blood. It was temporary until they sinned again, and then they had to kill another lamb, and they had to sprinkle more blood. And so when John says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he is saying, we're about to have a human sacrifice. And that's why we don't offer lambs anymore. Jesus died once for all. A sacrifice. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The only reason I'm so well known is to make that guy, the Lamb of God, known. Verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, hey, guys, I'm doing my job. Look, there he is. My job is to point you to him, the Lamb of God. Now, notice what happens this time in verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, which means they unfollowed John. You ever been unfollowed on social media? Is it fun? Nobody here? I've been blocked. I've been unfollowed. What do you do? What died? I'll show them. I'll unfollow them too. That'll show them. They're like, thanks, John, for all of this stuff you did. See ya. We're going to go follow the Lamb of God. They left him to follow Jesus, and it didn't bother John. But it did bother some of his followers. Look what happens in, in chapter 3, John chapter 3, verse 26. They, some of his followers, came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man, who's he talking about? Jesus. That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified, look, you told us to look at him. Now you look at him. He's baptizing and everyone's going to him. John, you invented baptism. It's in your name. It's not in his name. You're losing it, dude. We got to do something about this. How about we get a portable baptistry and we use clean water instead of the Jordan and maybe we heat it up. Maybe this is where the hot tub came from and we push it out to Jerusalem so people don't have to walk three days, you know. Maybe we could have more followers if we did that. <laughs> You're going to go out of business if you don't do something. And if you learned what John the Baptist learned, you can have thousands and thousands and thousands of followers and not, it won't go to your head. Better yet, you can lose thousands and thousands and thousands of followers and it won't destroy you. What John learned is in verse 27. To this, when they said everyone's following, to this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Hey, dude, your kingdom's shrinking. Your popularity's waning. Snap out of it. You're going to lose everything. John says, my being known Everything I have was given to me by God. This is my life. If God gives me a following, it's his following. If, and I'm going to praise God. Yay, I've got two people in my kingdom. Woo, thank you, God. 
And because it's from God, if God takes those two people out of my kingdom or the thousands of people out of my kingdom, they weren't mine in the first place. Whoo, yay, God, I got to be used by you. Maybe it's time I get to go live with you. Everything I have is for God. It's, it's not about me. It's about him. So everything I have, John would say, comes from God and is for God. Last week, we looked at Nebuchadnezzar. Remember him? He had to become a cow to learn that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth, and, and he sets anyone over them he wishes. John didn't have to learn the hard way, and the good news is you don't either. Verse 28. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but sent ahead of him. Did you think I was joking? Did you think I just had some false humility that I was really, live for the applause, applause, live for the applause, applause. I was going to play that for you, but it wouldn't play on the computer, so I had to sing it. Look what he says. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. I've been a best man once. I was best man in my best friend's wedding. He was best man in my wedding. And, and when I went to his wedding, I stood there, and, and, and I, was, I wasn't even necessary, right? I held the ring, but so what? He could have held the ring. It was about him and his, and his bride. And when she came down, you know, I was just like, yeah, sweet, Kevin, woo and when I got married to Janie, he was right there. He, it wasn't about him. It was about me and Janie. John says, Jesus is, is the groom. Your life isn't about you. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. It's now complete, he said, because there's Jesus. And then one of his most famous statements, verse 30, he, Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. How many of you, that's the theme of your life? He must become greater, I must become less. Oh, it's, it's a great coffee cup slogan. But how many of us really live like that? It's not about me, it's all about him. See, John would say, my desire to be known does not own me. And I think that's where we struggle. The whole, whole reason I'm known is to make him known. So whatever you're known for, your power, your prestige, your possessions, whatever you're known for, those things are only given to you so that you could make him known. And if you want to get weird in a hurry today, Try to hold on to those things that you've been given. You'll run around desperately trying to hold on to things that are slipping away from you. And your, your, your pride will expose to everyone who you really are, that your life is about you. It's not about him. Some of the saddest words you can hear is when there's a big tragedy. So, so like a, a hurricane or an earthquake, like what happened in, in Haiti back in 2010, or, or when, a, when an airliner goes down, some of the saddest words you can ever hear are, no known survivors. I don't know why that always just is a kick in the gut to me, because I'm always hoping there's one, or, you know, somebody's alive. No known survivors. You see, Satan wants there to be no known survivors on this planet, in this church, from pride. He will destroy you with pride. So what we want to be is we want to be known survivors, Right? Plane goes down, I'm a known survivor, right? We want to be known survivors of pride, and here's how you do it. You remember who it's from, and you remember who it's for. Capital W, because we're talking about God. You remember who gave you everything. Your next breath is a gift from God, right? Remember who it's from, who it's for. If you remember this, God can give you so much knownness. He can give you so much, and it won't go to your head. You won't become proud, and he can take it away from you, and you won't be destroyed. What if the driving force of our lives became, 
I wonder what my heavenly father wants me to do with my race, with my face, with my place, with his grace. Instead of complaining about your race, why don't you say, God, you, you made me whatever race I am. Why? And God, you gave me this face. And I used to think this face was pretty cool. I lost that several years ago. Kind of like when my hair fell out. I was like, hmm, wow. But, but there was a time I thought, I thought I was pretty cool. Here's a picture of me and Janie on our honeymoon in Cancun. Now, yeah, oh, I looked at this and I went, oh, dude, there's some serious problems with this, with this. Okay, see this strap right here? I am wearing a fanny pack. <laughs> and I think I still have it. That was, that was okay back then, all right? I, I'm, I'm in Cancun, Mexico with my beautiful bride, and I'm wearing a fanny pack. There's something wrong with that. Notice my little Nikes down here. You can't tell, but those are pink tongues on my Nikes. That was cool back then. Pink was cool back then. But, but, but check this out. Okay, I did have hair, but I got the girl. So I don't care what you think about my face. She liked it. Sometimes she tell, still tells me she likes it. I don't believe her, but... <laughs> right? So, so why, why, would I, why would I worry about what you think about my face? Why would I worry about what you think about my race? Why would I worry about the place that I was born? I was born in Borger, Texas. The only person here who knows is Michael McNellis. He was born in Borger, Texas, too. He comes to our first service. He, we click because of Borger. Woo-hoo. That is not a claim to fame. We took my, my choir from Baylor, went to First Baptist Borger. That's where I grew up, and, and we sang there. And to this day, I can run into people that were in that choir, and they go, Borger still stink? And I'm like, because we had a chemical plant, and if, if the wind blew the right, man, it smelled like rotten eggs, it was bad. Borger, my kids still, Borger still stink? Yes, it does. Why would, I, why would I worry about the place that I was born? Why not just say, God, you, you gave me this race. You gave me the face. You gave me the place I was born. Why not say, God, what, how do you want me to use it? And then, then, God, how do you want me to use your grace? I'm a beggar who found a place to eat bread, and, and, and my job is to tell other beggars where they can find bread. My job is to point people to you. Now, it would be life-changing if we began to ask, God, what do you want me to do with my race, my face, my place, and your grace? And we would be killing it. We would be killing pride, and we'd be killing the Christian life. I'm trying to be hood. We'd be killing it. That's all I got. Are known for his renown. If you don't know what renown means, it means fame. I looked it up. Fame. Everything I have in this life is for your fame, Jesus. Jesus. 